RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. We're here in Lawfather Studios. Uh, those of you who are following along on Instagram Live, uh, see what really happens behind the scenes, and it's not always smooth. Uh, so glad to be here with you all today. Uh, we had talked last week about getting into this week, uh, stand your ground motions and uh, the, uh, the state of Florida. There's a, a representative that's looking to make some changes to that law. And uh, originally I had talked about doing that this week. Uh, I, owe, I owe all of you a big apology because we have a milestone today and it's, it's exciting for, for what it is. It's a, a really, really minor deal. Um, but I'm really, really very excited about it. I have an in-person court hearing today. Okay. It has been a year since I've seen the inside of a courtroom. All right. Yes, we have had hearings, right? We've been in front of judges uh, by Zoom. So basically when I've had hearings and they've been right after the podcast, I will walk from the studio in Lawfather headquarters right over to my office, right across the hall and uh, turn on Zoom. But I actually get to take this nice three-piece suit that I'm wearing today and go in front of a judge and do a plea deal. Wow. Right. Um, plea deals aren't necessarily all that exciting, but this one today kind of is because it's a milestone. So anyway, I promise you, we will talk about stand your ground. I do not have anything on my calendar for the next time we're shooting the podcast, which those of you who follow on Instagram live, we're always doing it Mondays, 8 AM, start your week off with some legal knowledge. Okay. So no hearings next week. This is a continuation of the hearing that I had last week that I mentioned to you all. So kind of an exciting day. Like I said, uh, we are just uh, about uh, a year and a week past when things started shutting down and uh, sports really became the big metric for that. So about a week ago um, was the year anniversary of the NBA shutting down due to the coronavirus. And shortly after that, it seemed as though all the dominoes fell into place and everything else kind of followed suit. So anyway, that's that's what we got going on today. So I want to get into a baseball topic, right? Baseball and sports and the legal world. How do they all come together? Well, hey, you know what? March 15th, we're right in the middle of March, which means we are about 15 days from the start of the Major League Baseball season, start of regular season, right? Really very exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about, though, a professional league that didn't get to play last year. So those of you who follow baseball closely know that the Major Leagues played last year. They played a, a really condensed schedule. And the minor leagues didn't play last year. Well, minor leagues are slated to play this year. And we're going to talk about one of the minor league teams. Uh, there's... A few really interesting lawsuits out there right now that involve minor league ball clubs. And this one, I don't want to say it's uh, the premier team uh, in the minor leagues because I'm not necessarily sure that there is truly a premier team. However, uh, I'd say they're one of the more recognizable teams, right? Especially in the New England area because they draw it's one of the biggest draws in professional sports in New England. Okay. So you have the Red Sox and you have the Patriots. And then number three is the Pawtucket Red Sox. 
Now, who are the Pawtucket Red Sox? Well, who, or I should actually say who were the Pawtucket Red Sox because the Pawtucket Red Sox are now the Worcester Red Sox. All right. Um, so that's just uh, kind of a little history. We're going to get into a little history of the team, but what they are, are the, the AAA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Right. And as I mentioned, uh, from what I've been able to uncover, they're the third highest ranking fan base uh, behind the Red Sox and the Patriots in all of New England. Pawtucket, Rhode Island is where they called their home for, uh, I believe, about 40 years. Okay. And they played at a stadium there. And that stadium was built in 1942. And that becomes the basis of this lawsuit. So today we're going to talk about the Pawtucket Red Sox lawsuit with the city of Pawtucket. All right. And uh, like I said, there are some other lawsuits out there involving baseball and the minor leagues. One of them is player pay. And we're going to discuss that potentially in a future podcast. And there's some other things. Uh, Minor league baseball has seen some contraction, right? So um, you have independent leagues, which have no affiliation with major league ball clubs. And then you have leagues like the Pawtucket Red Sox and now the Worcester Red Sox were in that are considered uh, affiliated leagues, if you will. And what that really means and gets into is, is that these, these players can move freely and are, are uh, under contract with the major league ball club. Okay, so how it works is players drafted or they sign as a free agent, depending on how it comes about, and they sign with the Major League Ball Club. So to use this example, they sign with the Boston Red Sox, and then they get assigned to the Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, Generally speaking, if you're drafted, you don't get signed and get assigned to the AAA affiliate. You're going to the low A affiliate, but it used to be that there was a short season A team that was your your lowest, and you'd have low A, which is a full season. Then you had high A, right? And, and we're moving up the chain here, right? So low A being the lowest, major leagues being the highest, or excuse me, uh, short season A being the lowest, major leagues being the highest. All right, and then you had um, uh, you had low A, high A, double A. Triple A. Some teams had a couple of teams in in short season, uh, a couple of teams in low A. Right, so you had you had a, a scenario where some of these clubs had like six to eight minor league affiliates. So you had a lot of guys in, in this minor league system. And Major League Baseball for a while, I wanted to to control that, pull it down, make it a lot smaller. And COVID honestly became the reason or the excuse. Right, depending on how you want to look at that, COVID, COVID is the why. Okay, now whether it was an excuse to get there that to push it through easier, but they contracted some of the minor leagues last year. They contracted them a little bit more. Now the teams can have uh, four affiliates, and from what I understand from talking to uh, uh, one of the the coaches on one of the teams, they can have as many players as they want under contract at their facility that aren't assigned to a team. Okay, so all of these clubs have, uh, take a step back. Those of you in Tampa, if you drive down Dale Mabry, Dale Mabry at um, Columbus, I believe it is. It's either Columbus or MLK. Um, No, it's Columbus. Uh, Columbus and and Dale Mabry. The Yankees complex is right there. So you'll see a bunch of fields and and there's a, a, a building on Himes. Okay, 
if you were to look at that, that's the facility. They have weight training in there. They have cages in there. That is where a lot of the work happens. I'm sure they have indoor pitching mounds in there, right? That is where a lot of things happen. So they can have as many players as they want from, from what I understand from one of the coaches, that they can have as many players as they want in the facility. But anyway, that's the structure. And I, I think the Red Sox had been looking to move Pawtucket Red Sox out of Pawtucket for some time. Uh, it, it seemingly is the AAA clubs tend to be closer to the major league club in terms of geographically speaking. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm assuming one of the reasons for that is sometimes they use that to send the major leaguers down uh, when, when they have a rehab assignment. So let's say they get hurt and they need to get a few at-bats to get ready or they need to pitch a few innings to get ready. Um, you know, it, it happens. You right, you get hurt, you're out for a couple of weeks. Sometimes you need to, to get back into the swing of things. So uh, that may be a reason why. I don't know if there's an official reason why. But anyway, the Red Sox have been looking to move out of Pawtucket now for a couple of years. Their lease just came up, right? So at the end of the day, we're talking about baseball, right? And we're talking about, hey, you know, a game and all this, that, the other. But you break it down to its lowest common denominator and you have the Pawtucket Red Sox Baseball Club LLC and the city of Pawtucket. And they have a lease. And baseball teams are no different than any other business, right? It is an LLC. It is a limited liability company. And just like many companies out there, it is, it's just a company. So, yes, it's a team, but there is a company aspect to it. Same thing on the major league level, okay? Those are entities as well. So, what we get into is, a, a for lack of a better term, a garden variety landlord tenant dispute, right? After the, the tenant has decided not to renew their lease at the expiration of their lease. So kind of, kind of cool there when you think about it, right? Because, Hey, this should be this big, important, different thing, but nah, it's kind of the same, right? So really uh, interesting in that perspective that it is the same as any other landlord tenant dispute. And so we're going to get into that, but let's take a, a quick look at baseball in, in Pawtucket, professional baseball that is in Pawtucket. So stadium built in 1942, the Pawtucket Slaters moved in in 1946 with the Boston professional team. Okay. Who is it in 1946 national league team? Give you a second to answer Boston Braves. Okay. Those of you who have been in my office, actually, there is a picture of Fenway Park and it is Boston versus Philadelphia from the 1914 World Series. Okay. And the Boston Braves had their own stadium at that time. We're really going off on a tangent here, but Boston Braves had their own stadium at the time. Boston Red Sox had Fenway Park at the time. Well, 1914 World Series and at the bottom, it just says Boston versus Philadelphia. Right. So your first thought would be Philadelphia Phillies versus Boston Red Sox, right? American League versus National League. Well, it turns out that that stadium, that the Braves stadium, the Boston Braves stadium wasn't big enough at the time. So they played that World Series in Fenway Park and it was the Boston Braves versus the Philadelphia Athletics. Yep. Then now Oakland Athletics were the Philadelphia Athletics at that time. All right. So American League Philadelphia, which those of you who follow baseball know that Philadelphia is now a National League team because they're now the Phillies and the Athletics are still an American League team. And the Braves are now in Atlanta as a National League team, uh, not, in a, not an American League team. So anyway, that's, uh, that's that aside there. But in 46, the Boston Braves affiliate was 
was in uh, Pawtucket. And then in 19, uh, just following that, the Pawtucket Indians took over until, uh, until Boston took over that, that affiliate. And that was in 1970 that the Red Sox took over. And from 1970 until 2021, the Pawtucket Red Sox have been, uh, have used the stadium in Pawtucket as their home. All right. That's how we get to where we are today. That least ended January 31st of 2021. So this is all super fresh. Now, part of that lease, right, called for the team to do maintenance, repair, and other work. Okay. Pretty typical in a way. Okay. Every commercial lease is a little bit different. And it's very, very important that if you're you're signing a lease that you understand what you need to do and how you need to do it because commercial leases are not the same as residential leases, okay? There are a lot more things that can be put on the, the tenant than, than in a residential lease, a residential lease. But, you know, in this one, and, and it's... Look, sometimes the legal analysis becomes very, very difficult because sometimes people file lawsuits that are so vague, it's impossible to know, right? And sometimes it feels like a money grab, all right? Here's a spoiler alert on this one. This one feels like a money grab, right? What do I mean by that? Hey, what is it worth if I'm the defendant, if I am the Boston Red Sox, or actually in this case, excuse me, the Pawtucket Red Sox, what is it worth for me to just pay them some amount of money than to hire an attorney and have the bad press and have this drag on for years and years? Okay. How much does it cost me to just write them a check? And that's what this somewhat feels like. Now, look, I don't know the inner workings of it, so please don't confuse that. All I can go by is the complaint that was filed a little over a month ago. All right. So this, this is fresh. We haven't seen any discovery yet. Right, we don't see anything in the court record yet, other than the complaint. Okay, and the Pawtucket Red Sox saying, "Hey, we're not going to make any any statements. This is ongoing litigation." Right, typical, good move though. Right, you're not going to say anything about ongoing litigation. But here's the thing: think about this. What is maintenance, repair, and other work? Right, what's the definition of that? And is that defined in the lease? And is it just simply to take it to an office sense? that I'm going to change the light bulbs and I'm going to make sure that there's no holes in the wall. And, you know, at the end of the lease, if, if anything is, you know, grossly damaged or needs paint or, uh, things of that, that floor is damaged, right. Then I'm going to be responsible for it. Uh, the AC breaks, I'm going to make sure that that's fixed, right. Is that what maintenance is or is maintenance that, well, I'm going to make it look better. I'm going to take that wall that makes up the conference room, and I'm going to make it a glass wall, right? Or I'm going to add better windows, okay? I'm going to take the carpeted floor, and I'm going to make it a wood floor. Is that what maintenance is? And, and that seems to be kind of what, what we're, 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 wow, can't even speak this, this morning. You know, rough start to the day, rough start to the middle of the podcast, it term, turns out. But anyway, you know, is, is maintenance making it better or is maintenance just keeping it the same, right? And how do you apply that? How do you apply these regular general terms to a ballpark 
not only a ballpark, but a ballpark built in 1942. Uh, and if you look at some of the other major league parks, right? And I know it's tough to compare a minor league park to a major league park because we're talking under 10,000 fans for a minor league park. And, you know, generally speaking, well over 30,000. I think Fenway Park is one of the smallest with a capacity of about 37,000. Okay, so think about that, right? Where Pawtucket draws one of the most sets of fans in all of minor league baseball, and they were under 10,000. Uh, I think it was like eight or 9,000 is what what they would draw on average, right, for a home game. So is it, what do you use as your, as your benchmark, right? In major league baseball, a lot of the, the old parks are gone, right? You have new Yankee Stadium. Okay, so you have Wrigley Field and you have Fenway Park. Those are the two oldest that I can think of off the top of my head, okay? I can't think of another park that a major league club is playing in that is as old as that. The next oldest might be Oakland. And I don't think Oakland Coliseum is quite that old. Uh, I want to say, well, I I believe it was built when the Olympics were in LA and that may have been the sixties. Okay. A little bit before my time, but uh, I believe that may be the next oldest. We're, We're getting close there with that. Okay. But how do you determine maintenance on a park built in 1942? What does that, really mean okay and can you point to this the team in the city had a study done that said 35 million dollars in repairs were needed and that's how it's pled in the complaint in the complaint that the city of Pawtucket has filed against the team they've said well 35 million is needed because of this study right now you do some digging you look into this study and this study looks at and goes well yeah 35 million is needed but it also takes into account making the surrounding area better. So are the Pawtucket Red Sox, right? The entity, the Pawtucket Red Sox, not necessarily the team because the team has moved on, right? The manager, the players, all those guys, they're in Worcester right now. Well, they're going to be in Fort Myers, but for for lack of a better term, they're in Worcester right now. They're, they don't care about Pawtucket, right? We're talking about the business side, the front office, if you will, Okay. Are they responsible for making the area around the stadium better, right? And how does that play into a lease? I can't find a way because unless that lease specifically states, hey, Pawtucket Red Sox, not only are you responsible for the repair and the maintenance of the stadium, but you're responsible for that entire area around there. Can't make any sense of that. I really can't, right? If I'm on if I'm on the attorney team of the Pawtucket Red Sox, I'm laughing this one all the way, right? Hey, yeah, you don't have a leg to stand on, city, right? Because how are you going to make me responsible as the the tenant to make everything around me better, okay? And so what the city has done is they've said, hey, team, you, you failed to maintain. You failed to make it better, right? You failed to bring that stadium from 1942 into 2021. Okay. Now things have changed a lot, right? If we look at the dynamics of stadiums, where is the money, right? And it's, unfortunately, it's where we have to look for these things is where is the money? And it's a conversation that has come up with Tropicana Field here on the major league level. Where is the money? The money is in suites. Who has the money for suites? Corporations. Okay. That's where the money for these are. So if you look at a lot of the new stadiums, a lot of the new stadiums have really big and plush and lots and lots of suites. 
and they're in downtown areas. Why? Corporations are generally downtown. Corporations buy suites. Suites control the revenue, right? I mean, suites are are generally in ex- in excess of six figures, just to put it in a little bit of perspective. Okay, so that's where it is. So a stadium built in 1942 doesn't necessarily have the amount of suites that a stadium built in 2020 has. But who's responsible for that? What does maintenance mean? What what does it mean by repairs? Okay, and we see this. This is a, a really common thread in a lot of a lot of leases when you're talking on the commercial side. Is this maintenance thought right? So the, here's the tie-in, right? And this is why it's important important to know what your lease says. Important to understand and have an understanding with your landlord, right? And it's not good enough to just have a verbal understanding with your landlord. Yes. We all want to have great relationships with our landlord and we never want to think that it's going to go south, but it does. This is an example of that. How many years was that team there? This thing reeks of a, a city that feels jilted because the Red Sox moved. It really does. They didn't break their lease, right? So they didn't breach their lease by breaking it. They waited until the end and they moved and they actually gave the city notice Prior to now, generally speaking, there's clauses in leases that, that say, especially if there's a renewal clause attached to it, that says you have to notify the landlord by X date that you're going to either renew or not renew. Well, the Red Sox did that. They notified the city that they were not renewing. Okay. So we don't have a breach of contract. We don't have a, an entity that said, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to purposely hurt you city. No, they didn't. This sounds, like I said, it sounds like a money grab. It sounds like a city that is upset that the team left. That's what it feels like. Uh, you know, I, I can't find a legal analysis out there from what I can tell, from what I've been able to ascertain. And the reality is I haven't been able to ascertain a whole lot because I, I didn't see that the lease was attached to the, to the complaint. All right. Um, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working a, a similar thing here, right? So we take it out of the baseball and the sports world, okay? I'm working a landlord-tenant dispute for a landlord right now that, that we've filed a lawsuit on. And guess what? It's Guess what the main issue is? The main issue is maintenance. And what does maintenance mean? Now, in this particular instance, maintenance was clearly defined, right? And I was able to clearly go, this is how maintenance was defined, in the lease, when I wrote my complaint, this is how maintenance was defined. This is what was not done, or this is what was done. This is what the damage is. Okay. This is what should have been done. This is what harm has been caused to the landlord as a result. And that's what you have to be able to show. You have to be able to show as the landlord where that damage comes from, right? And and how that tenant should have contractually been obligated to make those changes. And I don't see it. I just don't see a winning argument in this complaint. Now I'd like to follow this for some time and see how it plays out. But what we have right now is not, not a whole lot from a legal perspective, just the, the city saying that they're owed lots and lots of money. They, they use the jurisdictional amount, which uh, what that means is there's different levels of courts, right? Small claims, 
county civil and circuit civil circuit civil is the highest dollar amount and what they said was uh, is that the amount of damages is greater than the amount to get into their equivalent of circuit civil we call it circuit civil in florida not really sure what they call it in rhode island but that's what that is i just don't see an avenue of success for the city uh if i was the defense attorney for the pawtucket red sox I'd say, look, we have a, we have a strong case. Uh, I believe they actually had made some changes over time, um, kept the place up, kept it running. Um, you know, it's, we're not talking about an instance where we have concrete falling on fans as they're sitting there watching concourses collapsing on themselves. Okay, we're talking about a stadium built in 1942, and and probably the challenges of that. Really, really interesting part. The city is considering demolishing the stadium. Think about that for a second. The city is suing for lack of maintenance done on the stadium. But in the same study, it was talked about the demolition of the stadium. And currently, the, the city is considering demolishing the stadium. So what does that do to their legal claim? Uh, to me, it eviscerates the legal claim. Legal claim goes away, right? Because what, your damages right, are, are to repair the maintenance right? There was a lack of maintenance. And all you can do is put a financial dollar figure to that. But if there's no stadium, how is there a financial dollar figure to that? They would have to argue, right? The, the city would have to argue that because the Reds, the Pawtucket Red Sox failed to maintain, it put the, the stadium in such poor condition that the only option was to demolish it, right? A lot of ho hoops to jump through, a lot of speculation, Speculation is not good when we're talking about litigation. Okay. So long story short, I don't see an avenue to success. I see this thing settling at some point and seemingly being more of a money grab by the city. All right. So that is the story of the Pawtucket Red Sox and the city of Pawtucket and that ongoing saga. Uh, I'll try to keep an eye on that. And uh, if there's anything interesting that pops up, we'll, we'll look at revisiting that. Uh, I do want to get into a listener question here before we move on from the show for the day. And what I'd like to look at is the question being, how long should I expect my personal injury case to last? Which is a very interesting question. It, it really is. And it brings us to the, the law school answer. And if you ever see on Facebook or Instagram, uh, memes pop up every once in a while that have to do with lawyers answering questions. And it generally goes with the answer is it depends. All right. And uh, this is really no different. And I, I really dislike using the it depends answer to, to get into it. But the reality is it depends. And the, the rationale behind that is there's just so many factors. Okay. Um, you know, I can tell you what makes up a case that can resolve in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, a year, two years. Right. So the short answer of it is it depends and it depends on the facts and circumstances of your particular case. Okay. Now, look, I can tell you that if you have a, a death case, let's say someone dies in a car crash and there's a $10,000 policy on the driver who was not killed. And there's any bit of fault that can be put on that, that driver that was not killed in the crash. That insurance company is going to pay that 10,000, um, about as quick as we send in a letter that says we represent this person. 
right? A lot of times, sometimes when that's happened, we send the letter out and they're sending us a check um, as their response. As their response to, hey, we acknowledge that you represent that person is a check, okay? So that's the real quick end of it. And um, and I'm trust me, I'm not making light of when those cases come in, uh, but that is an example of how it goes quickly. And, and you have to keep in mind, right? We're never seeing people on their best day, right? All of our clients have had something bad happen to them. And even if it's only a minor type injury, it's still something bad, right? They've had to, they've incurred losses. They've incurred the loss of use of their car, maybe the loss of ability to get to work. So maybe they want to work and they're physically able to, but their car is damaged in the shop and, or it's totaled or, you know, whatever other scenario they can't get there. Or, um, there's just, there's so many factors that come into play to that. So anyway, that's the short end of the spectrum. Then you have the longer end, right? You have somebody with a lot of injuries, a lot of medical treatment, and there's a lot of damage to the car and there's a lot of insurance coverage that takes you to the, to your other end of the spectrum. If there's an, an extreme amount of coverage, the insurance company is going to fight you. Okay. They just are. I had one, uh, over the past couple years that was a huge policy, multi-million dollar policy. And I had a lot of people. Okay. And it turned out that the liability was pretty clear and the crash was very, very significant. But because that policy was so large, they denied, 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 pushed it and waited and waited and waited. And we had an absolute bloodbath of litigation. We did. It was one of the biggest bloodbaths in litigation that I have had. We hired a bunch of experts and we walked into mediation and said, this expert says this, this expert says this, this expert says this. And they go, yeah, um, yeah, we can't really defend that. Okay. Um, I can't really get into, to a whole lot, right. Cause mediation is confidential. Um, this case, you know, there's a lot of confidentiality pieces that come into it, but just understand that that can make a case long. That case lasted two years. Okay. So th- those are really this, the ends of the spectrum and everything else falls in between. Right. So if you have, you know, a six figure policy and you have, uh, some injuries that require surgery, you're probably looking closer to a year or touch over a year. And if you have say a $25,000 policy, generally speaking, we move through those in five to six months in this office. All right. Um, some offices move through them a lot slower. Uh, I worked in a firm prior to venturing out on my own and you'd be looking at 12, 16, 18 months for those $25,000 policies, right. That we're moving through in five to six, um, now, even there, I tried to move through. I, I came up with how you move through those in that amount of time, right? It takes a lot of work. It takes staying on top of things. It takes making sure that clients are getting the doctor, the doctors are, are, are following up and that we're getting the reports in and, and we're putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and we're putting them together on the front end and not the back end, okay? So that is why it depends. As you can see, there's so many different variables in it, but- that is how that works. If you have any more questions, 855-LAWFATHER, call or text me, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. That is the email address for the show. You can always feel free to, to send me a DM on Instagram. All right. Those of you on Instagram Live, I appreciate you uh, checking us out on there. Uh, as I mentioned, please feel free to, to send us a DM on there. Check us out on Facebook. 
Uh, TikTok, we're starting to do a little bit more. So check us out on TikTok. I think we're going to be doing some more content this week for everybody's enjoyment. All right. That is the show for today. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast from Lawfather Headquarters. Lawfather, out. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.